Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Cookbook Circle podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Victoria. And we've set out to review the UK's most popular cookbooks, those that you probably have at home and haven't opened in a while. We take one cookbook each episode to cook from and to stress test, digging out their best recipes, bringing them to life again, and hopefully inspiring you to do so too. Hi, Hannah. Hello, Victoria. (laughs) How are you? I am well. Great. Good chat. (laughs) Tell us about something you've been thinking about recently. With regards to food, maybe not, don't go too deep into your psyche. (laughs) About how nothing matters, apart from from food. I spotted a book that I would really like to get from Mm. Senia Johansson, who I've followed on Instagram for a while. These stories always start out the same, (laughs) me saying that I followed somebody (laughs) on Instagram for a while. She's a cook who has had um, a couple of scandalicious books on Scandinavian food. And this book, which caught my eye, is called Solo, The Joy of Cooking for One, which has been out since last year, but it's just been released in paperback. I just think it's such a great concept. I'm sure there are a million books about cooking for one person, but I find that when I am just cooking for myself, a lot of the time, it is literally toast (laughs) or add a push like a very simple pasta dish so it's nice to just see that it's acknowledged that you know cooking for yourself and and treating yourself nice is important yeah treating yourself nice (laughs) treating yourself nice (laughs) yeah I agree I think also some of those like cooking for one recipes that you see are often cook this really big recipe and eat the same thing for the next four days which you know isn't treating yourself nice no if there's anything to like push yourself into a pit of despair it's (laughs) that and as much as I said that I'd eat toast on my own the sample recipes that I've seen include spicy garlicky lemony sardines on toast and a croque monsieur no a croque madame lots of toast there is a lot of toast in there but you know the good kind the fancy kind so yeah that looks great can i just say on that note i love a paperback more paperbacks please yeah i know what you mean they because hardbacks including the one that we're going to speak about today of which i have the hardback version it's so hard to keep them open Mm. when you're cooking from them so yeah i feel like there needs to be a revolution in cookbook design that includes a flat lace spot 
fine. Invent it. It's really annoying. Maybe you should just get me one of those stands. You specifically should buy me one of those stands <laughs> okay. where you put those cookbooks in. They look like a like a music stand. <laughs> yeah. I'll just call people over to turn the pages while all of my <laughs> hands are covered in cheese. I don't know. <laughs> Toast. Oh, toasty fingers. No, looking forward to that one. This is not the book that we're talking about today. No, it is not. And before we get to that, let's just give a little recap of what our mission is here at the Cookbook Circle podcast. We collated all of the lists of the best cookbooks of all time that we could find on the old internet. And we created our own little list. It's quite a long list, actually. And each episode of the Cookbook Circle podcast, we take one of the books that was near the top of that list or was repeated over and over again to test it and see if it's worth being on those lists and today it's a big old fangirl episode <laughs> sorry about that but we are looking at the kitchen diaries by nigel slater slater what a man we love nigel slater oh my god did we originally bond over nigel slater is this how this friendship began i think probably based on all of our other conversations about chefs i feel like probably <laughs> He might be the only one we agree on. This is true. In my first year in London, I saw that he was signing a book, his new book, I can't remember which book it was, at a Waterstones near my work. And I just had no concept of him being a thing. Like I just didn't realise that people even liked him. So I thought I'd just be able to hop down to this bookshop and get the book signed for my mum because I wanted to get it for her for Christmas. And I got down there. It was bank, the area. I'm not just forgetting the article. <laughs> wasn't in our bank it was at the Waterstones app bank the queue was all the way out the door winding around the corner and I had wow. just no idea I think it was like 2013 and at the front of that queue was Ruby Tando from Great British Bake Off no way she looked like such a fangirl she was so excited and she looked really nervous and it was so cute but I just couldn't be arse queuing but I just pretended that I wanted to buy a book in the bookshop anyway and I just went in and just had a look at Nigel. <laughs> Just stared at him like Madame Tussauds. I did. I did. He was sitting at a little desk. I mean, a normal size desk. <laughs> <laughs> signing all the books and I just I just like did this fake browse and had a little look at him and then didn't buy anything and left got my mom a different book that year <laughs> I like all these Hannah meets meets in quotes the chef stories that we get on the podcast Hannah meets the chef the chef gets a restraining order <laughs> Hannah stares longingly across the road ah, chef. I think that's it I think I'm out of those stories now that's all I have should I tell you a little bit about Nigel in this book Yes, please. As much as I love him, I don't feel like I know very much about him. Well, I don't think I'm going to be able to uncover much else for you here. He oh. is quite the enigma in his personal life, but we can learn about him, you know, in his, in his endeavours in life <laughs> that aren't personal. <laughs> Professional, I think is the word. <laughs> So, Mr. Slater was born in the 50s in Wolverhampton. So he's uh, one of mine, little Midlander. Doesn't have an accent, interestingly. He got into cooking by doing an OND in catering after he left school and he worked in various restaurants and hotels and then he became the food writer for Marie Claire because you 
could back then. And that was in 1988. The year I was born. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he wrote for Marie Claire. And then he got his Observer column in, do you want to guess what year he started writing for the Observer? Oh, 2000 something? 1993. It's been that long. Yeah, he's been writing for the Observer and the Guardian for almost 30 years. Whoa, that's mad. Isn't that crazy? And he still is definitely one of the first pages I look at Yeah, when you're looking at food in the Guardian and Observer. If you don't know Nigel Slater, then where the fuck have you been? He's known for this kind of simple, seasonal, easy to cook food. It's not chefy in any way. It's very seasonal. I would say he was kind of pro-vegetable before it was cool. Would you? Yeah, I would agree. And it's very intuitive or it comes across that way anyway, doesn't it? It's like he feels like something that day and he yes. has a mooch around his kitchen and he rustles something up and, and he puts it all together and hey, it's a great recipe and I've decided to share it with you. And I think that that, yeah, that really comes across in his writing that sets him apart from other food writers in that he he's known for kind of writing everything down right he's got these diaries and these list books where he writes everything that he eats and and they become these books which we'll obviously talk about this book particularly I found it fascinating and the way he writes is I think it's like beautiful it makes me sometimes it gives me like goosebumps and makes me like oh it's so lovely presents this very idealistic view of England at least yeah it does I think him and Nigella come from the same school of prose when it comes to cookbooks and food writing. It's not for everyone. I have heard people kind of bitch about his recipe writing style and in the same way that people bitch about bloggers writing whole paragraphs and mm. stories before you can even find the recipe and you have to keep scrolling and scrolling. His recipes read more like, I don't know, poetry or a story or something and they're not mm. just like chop 40 grams of garlic and blah, blah, blah. So I guess it's not for everyone, but we like it. We love you. There's people that it's not for. I think they're cancelled and I don't want to speak to them. So, okay. Bye. <laughs> Please still listen and rate us on iTunes. Rate us five stars. So here's another quiz for you. Mm. How many to date recipe books has he written? Oh, 10? 18. Wow. 18 recipe books plus his autobiography which we'll come to is that toast yeah best name of a book ever your guy so 18 recipe books and then this book that I'd never heard of before reading up about Nigel but it's called Eating for England yeah which I'm absolutely going to buy because it sounds incredible so here's what the synopsis says Eating for England is an entertaining detailed and somewhat tongue-in-cheek observation of the British and their food their cooking their eating and how they behave in restaurants with chapters on amongst other things dinner parties funeral teas, Indian restaurants, dieting and eating whilst under the influence. That sounds so good. Doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds exactly like the kind of thing that I would be into reading. He loves observing things, doesn't he? And just in this book, obviously, it's quite text heavy and quite, again, narrative led. And he just seems to enjoy the kind of slowness of food and all the kind of processes around it and all the routines and everything. And it just he's just got such love for it. And it really comes across. He's very similar to Nigel, like you said, in that kind of narrative approach. But so when we looked at how to eat, we talked about how there was all these other characters and other people and you know these other influences that Nigella talks yeah. about whereas Nigel Slater those people are there but you don't hear about them yeah you, he says we and us and they and he talks about wanting to cook for lots of people in this book he talks about cooking for lots of people but he never mentions who they are and this adds to his like mystery I think which I love he is mysterious there's one section I don't know if you read it where I think it's called 
fishes and loaves or loaves and fish and mm. it's just a small paragraph to say that he's had a meeting at home and it's run over with a few people there and they keep looking longingly at his oven because they obviously want him to cook <laughs> something amazing and he's really tired and he actually just wants them all to leave but what they end up making is just having just bread and like sardines from the larder and loads of beer and of yeah it's just it's actually just very cute and very human in that he just wants this bloody meeting to be over and he yeah. an arse cooking for everyone so <laughs> just throw some fish and bread at them so yeah his memoir toast which i think if you aren't familiar with nigel sater you might be familiar with his memoir because it was a book about his childhood and eating and just you know the way he grew up it was made into a play and that's been out for many many years or up and down the country have you seen it i haven't seen the play i've seen the bbc adaptation i really liked it he's just adored you say you know some people that he uh rubs up the wrong way with his prose but i don't know any of those people thank god and I think he, yeah, he's just really well loved. And, and I think it's just so easy. Like a, a couple of chefs we've talked about before where it feels worrisome to cook a recipe or you're nervous mm. about getting it right. Or there's, you know, if you skip something or you don't have an ingredient, you worry. But that is just not the case here. When I think about the lots of things like cook on a kind of day to day, week to week basis, a lot of them have like started out as Nigel Slater recipes that have just become adapted in, in our house yeah. to maybe not looking anything like the original one but yeah that that's how it started because there's these like flashes of inspiration yeah you're so right and the the techniques are never really challenging it's just not absurd amounts of work and it's all very adaptable to your taste if you want a little bit more of that or a little bit more of this i remember pre tiktok feta pasta madness (laughs) he has a great recipe for feta where you just you just cook spring onions and chili in a pan and then put Mm. feta in as well and I can't remember if you bake it or fry it but it's just literally there the ingredients and then you you eat that with some bread and there's so many recipes like that which are just four or five ingredients and really really delicious and actually would make them on a weeknight it's all about like the produce right and 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 what you choose and and he's not like judgy about he's very vegetable led but he's not judgy about you eating meat and there's a lot of meat in this book and I know others of his books I know he's bought a couple of vegetarian ones out recently um, but he makes no qualms about eating meat. What he does say in the beginning, I don't know if he spotted this, is where he says that he's never set foot in a Tesco. Oh, I didn't spot that, but that doesn't surprise me. It's in the foreword, and maybe it's changed since then because this has been out a while, right? But it's in praise of local shops and going to, you know, fingers and greengrocers and supporting local business. But yeah, I thought that was quite funny. I couldn't imagine him wandering the aisles of Tesco. Get no, or just doing it and getting like frustrated and like <laughs> at the self checkout <laughs> in the banking area. What are you talking about? <laughs> This book, quickly, before we go on to talk about all the lovely things that we cook. So it's called The Kitchen Diaries Part 1, or 1, mm-hmm. Kitchen Diaries I. Uh, <laughs> and that is of three. There's three Kitchen Diaries. Wow. It was first published in 2005. It's his 10th book of 18. So the basic premise of the book is it's a year of Nigel Slater eating. Yeah. It's a whole year. It's split by month. And it pretty much every day, some days there are recipes and some days they are just descriptions of what and how he ate. And 
it's supposed to be this real ode to shopping seasonally and locally and like he talked in the beginning I think he this is what he's trying to get at is the essence of the book is the right food at the right time and I love that and I love actually he talks in the beginning about how seasonality is important not just because it's better for the environment and it's better for our food system and all that stuff to eat what's in season but if you if you don't eat seasonally so if you he talks about eating asparagus in February or, yeah. or whatever he talks about not knowing when it's at its best yeah and I really like that. I was like, that's such a nice positive spin on you can't always have what you want when you want it. Yeah. Because that's true, isn't it? When you know you can get asparagus whenever you want, you don't know when it tastes great or when or when you should go and eat it. Yeah. Because it, the difference is astronomical. Yeah. And I think that's in his section about how he likes to grow his own fruit and vegetable. Uh, he, he talks about yeah. his little garden and growing that gives you that appreciation for when things taste their best in a way we don't understand if we can pick it up any month of the year so I just like how it's it's a totally seasonal cookbook without ever really banging on about seasonality it's just like seasonality in practice yeah it's not a total like wank fest about how good organic produce is and like I really liked he talks about sometimes how it's a bit depressing like on the 1st of February he says the following the thought of shopping for homegrown fruit and vegetables in February makes my heart sink there's only so much enthusiasm you can muster for kohlrabi and potatoes flowery apples and crates of stinky old sprouts and it's like yeah that's the that's the reality of English produce right yeah. British produce we've got the hungry gap like sometimes it's shit yeah <laughs> and as well for each date doesn't he have kind of a little description of what the dishes mm. or what the kind of theme of eating was that day um and there was a an alarming moment where I didn't really grasp that that was the concept yet and there was a <laughs> section that was like <laughs> where is it oh yeah there was a section that was salty lemons children and charred chicken <laughs> what a recipe children season lads <laughs> I think we all know that children doesn't go with charred chicken two proteins man I can't do that <laughs> yeah I love those little descriptions that he has they're all just very poetic and brief about the kind of theme of the dish or what he was eating that time yeah it's all just very lovely it's all just very heartwarming it's very beautiful and as we know what the greatest thing about getting a book that spans the whole year and is broken down into dates is figuring out what thing happens on your birthday so obviously that was the first thing I did and um unfortunately he doesn't write an entry on my birthday so (laughs) he was too busy off celebrating you (laughs) clearly no there was nothing for my birthday either we're just black holes to so hannah tell us what you cooked did you manage to cook more than two things this time (laughs) oh shade (laughs) i did because little goody two shoes here cooked a third dish at lunchtime today (laughs) in a panic class minute cook okay made three things the first thing was because I got fennel in my like weekly vegetable box I genuinely never I don't think I've ever cooked with fennel before I know that's quite embarrassing to say but I don't know what to do with it um Fun fact, when I worked in a pub in East London, (laughs) we spent one Sunday shift allocating fruits or vegetables to every member of staff. So you would be, for example, like, you know, I don't know, a pink grapefruit. And I... 
I was made to be a fennel and I didn't know what to take from that. I thought it might be like my frizzy hair. (laughs) (laughs) Your four necks. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, maybe that. Um, um, It occurred to me, but thanks for that. So anyway, so yeah, I had no idea what to do with it, but then check this book and he has a recipe for grilled fennel with mozzarella and olives. Yeah. Now it isn't, like the summer sections and it is March so that was kind of um, (laughs) out of season but here we are so it's very simple and I think it would work very well for a barbecue or something you slice the fennel into I think it's like slices no thicker than a pound coin and you grill them and until they're quite crispy and mine were definitely crispy and then you (laughs) just make a little dressing with olive oil and parsley, black olives. I used kalamata. Very strong little olive kalamata. <laughs> a lot of strong flavours in this dish. Fennel, olives. But yeah. And then literally that's it. You you just like toss the fennel in this dressing and then you tear over some mozzarella. And it's really good. It's delicious. It was very simple. Obviously, it took about 10 minutes to pull together. And now I know what to do with fennel. So it definitely make that again there's kind of a nice contrast Mm. between the creaminess of the mozzarella and the crunchiness of my almost burnt fennel (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that one was really good I always find that about Nigel Slater books when you have a random ingredient and you look up the index he has recipes for practically everything and they're usually really accessible and just like a salad or I don't know a stew or just very straightforward yeah Nigel Slater books are made for your weekly vegetable box delivery right and when you don't know what you're going to get but you want use it because that's the whole point exactly the second thing i made was linguine (laughs) not in an ode to my real love of ratatouille rather than remy (laughs) (laughs) because that is in fact his name (laughs) linguine with lemon Mm. so this is a dish that i think my mom originally first made and i think that that original recipe was from nigella or jamie oliver or someone and it's we've both cooked it so many times that I forget even what the original is. So similar to like the risotto that I made for how to eat, it's it's just nice to go back to a recipe on something like that and see where it's come from or if mm. you've been doing it right or if you kind of want to tweak it again. And it's just so good. So you, you get like, I think it's 75 mils of olive oil, juice of a lemon, and you grate 75 grams of Parmesan, which is no small amount of Parmesan. Yeah. I'll post the picture, but it's a little Parmesan mountain. And then you just kind of mix all that up, cook the linguine in, and mix it all in this. And it's so delicious. It's just so simple and it was meant to be for two people and I ate it all myself and it was just <laughs> oh just like really zingy and cheesy it's just amazing I just think everyone should make that we spoke about cooking for one and that is like the perfect supper to make for yourself I was just gonna say like, that sounds perfect to four ingredients or whatever totally and he has a lot of these dotted throughout this book what he calls 10 minute pasta dishes the last thing I made was a tomato curry Ooh, yes which I haven't made a tomato curry before have you I've seen a few recipes but no it was very nice it was a little bit watery which Mm. made me question (laughs) Carrie Bradshaw style I couldn't help but wonder (laughs) 
<laughs> How watery is a curry meant to be? <laughs> you cook onion, garlic, ginger, some spices like cumin seeds and brown mustard seeds and turmeric. Then you add some chopped tomatoes and an equal amount of water. And then you put in whole tomatoes and then you let it all cook together. But it's meant to cook for long enough that it reduces down a little bit. But the tomatoes are meant to stay whole and intact. And actually it was just a little bit watery by the end. So I did think that there was perhaps a little bit too much water in there. But the flavours were really, really good. I didn't have it with naan bread, but it would be really, really delicious with some kind of flatbread. Oh, and you stir through some yogurt at the end. So it's got like a certain creaminess as well. That was another great one as well. And really low maintenance, only like half an hour all in all. And I guess you could try that with different tomatoes when you come across them when they're in different seasons. Yeah. If you go to the farmer's market. (laughs) I'm always at the farmer's market. What tomatoes do you have? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that was it. I I feel like there's not so much to say because just everything's lovely and you know it's going to be lovely. You just, you you look at the recipe and it's all flavours that you like and there's not much messing around and it just makes sense. Yeah, I think this book in particular is, there's so many recipes. Like there must be 300 recipes in here. So like when I was thinking about what to cook, it was, yeah, what do I have? And then what do I like? So I know that the recipes that I cooked will be good. It's not a case of like, oh, I'm kind of having to to try something new. and I don't know how it's going to turn out. That's it. No complaints. I, I wish I could. I wish I could bash him a bit. I wish there was something I could say, but there's just Me nothing you can bloody say. The man is perfection. What did you make? So I also made three things. I also don't really have any complaints. So we had basically a whole day of eating recipes from this. So the first thing I made is like a brunchy recipe, which I was very excited about actually. So it's the orange and ricotta pancakes. Oh, I saw them. There's blood oranges everywhere. Like they're just coming out of the ears of all of the shops around here. So I was like, oh, that would be great. And also I was kind of thinking like that would look good on Instagram because, you know, I haven't been to brunch in over a year. So I'm I was like, how can I bring brunch to me? Also, I love pancakes. Yeah, that means you can post two pictures of them and I can hold back the picture of the tomato curry, which just <laughs> looks like a plate of red. <laughs> Tell me about the recipe. Where do the oranges come into the pancake equation? So the pancakes are just ricotta, basically, and a little bit of flour and egg. Mm. And then you zest, he says a big orange, but I zested kind of two medium blood oranges in there. And that's, so it's like 250 grams of ricotta. It's great because if you like fluffy pancake, you whisk the eggs till they're kind of stiff. So they're really light and fluffy. They puff up. They're great. My perfect kind of pancake. And then he says to serve them with like jam and icing sugar, which I did eat them with a little bit of jam, but they would be great with any kind of syrup or anything. My little cat was nibbling at the first batch. (laughs) I turned my back for a minute and I found her like nibbling at at the first batch. So she's a fan, which is weird. Well, I caught our cat eating my bowl of bread dough the other day as well. So there's something. (laughs) there's something in the carbs for these cats (laughs) i think i think samosa just you know loves brunch you know she's a basic bitch like me (laughs) well aren't they essentially just all on the atkins diet all the time (laughs) all they eat is meat (laughs) so they just see a carb and they're like (laughs) gimme 
So they were great. Would make them again. Yeah. They were really easy. Uh, they would also be nice with some raspberries kind of sprinkled on top of them, I thought. You know, that orange and raspberry vibe. But obviously that's Lovely. not um, particularly seasonal. The next thing I made, I knew that you wouldn't make it. So <laughs> I was like, at least we won't cross over. What was it? It was the zucchini cakes with dill and feta. <laughs> Wow. Is... I saw them and my eyes lit up for a second and then I saw Dill and I just wanted to die. Also, isn't it weird that he calls them zucchini when we call them crochet? Yeah, I didn't know what to make of that. And I didn't know if it was a, a 2005 thing. That was cool in 2005. <laughs> this is another one. I had loads of courgettes slash zucchini from my vegetable book. And I never use them because they're just so uninspiring generally. But I love dill. Ugh. And so I was very excited. I love it. And there's so much dill in this. Like a big handful. And it's sexy. It also had some feta left over. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't have to make the TikTok pasta recipe <laughs> because I, my, it was just staring at me in the fridge with a lot of tomatoes which are in my next recipe that I'll talk about uh, and I was like oh I don't want to make the TikTok pasta recipe like I can make pancakes and be a basic brunch bitch but I can't be a basic TikTok bitch <laughs> anyway again this is the week of stacking things so you just make like little pancakes yeah. so you grate the courgettes so you bring them out get all the water out of them and you mix them with all the dill some feta a little bit of flour i think yeah maybe also an egg wow they're very similar recipes just one savory and one's <laughs> cheesy pancake recipes <laughs> is what i did from nigel slater <laughs> yeah you just kind of fry them up nice quite a lot of oil he says to serve them with a chutney right um, but I had a little bit of hot sauce with them, nice. with the the main event, which was my last recipe, which was the pumpkin and tomato laksa. Ah, oh, I didn't see a laksa. Yes, I think it's in November. Right. So we're doing really good on the seasonality between <laughs> us. <laughs> But I had a squash and like I said, I had loads of tomatoes. There's always a coconut milk in the cupboard. So yeah. it was perfect. So in true Nigel style, I had to substitute a couple of the ingredients. Yeah. So things like coriander root, which I'd never seen as an ingredient. And I definitely have never seen it in a shop, even like a greengrocer. Yeah. Literally the roots from a coriander plant. Yeah. But the internet said that I could switch it with cumin. Oh, wow. Or extra coriander stems. So I did that. I added, added some of those. Interestingly, I had a little bit of a breakdown when I got home from buying all the stuff for this. I didn't need to get much, like I said, but the herbs. So the dill for the, the zucchini cakes and then the coriander for this. Mm -hmm. Because I got it from my local shop that I talk about all the time and then got it home and didn't know if I'd picked up flat leaf parsley or coriander. <laughs> and did you know that they look so alike? Yes. I, I didn't. This is why I questioned if you had bought coriander for episode two when you said that you had changed your mind about coriander your lifelong hatred of coriander and you dramatically said that this local specific one shop's coriander changed everything and i wondered if you had bought parsley but we'll never know but we can take a pretty good guess well, I am sure of as I did buy real coriander for this one. Because when I realized that I might have done something wrong, I went to the supermarket e-shop and got a packet of coriander and I compared and they looked the same. But okay. we'll never know for the Ottolenghi. 
So you make a little paste, like a curry paste with the coriander and ginger, garlic. Anyway, basically I got to use my chopper and I was thrilled about it. Yeah, we've been missing that. Missed the chopper. <laughs> yeah. You kind of steam some squash. Then you just kind of assemble and add some noodles. So it's the paste, some coconut milk, some stock. You can use chicken or vegetable, some fish sauce, mm-hmm. and then the squash. And you just kind of warm it all up and it tastes great. Top it off with some noodles and some coriander and some mint actually he says and then boom and it was gorgeous wow yeah because I've always been afraid of making laksa at home because I thought it would be really hard to achieve that kind of depth of flavor that you get with the really good ones but that sounds great yeah I mean I don't know how authentic it is I don't know enough about what exactly constitutes a laksa but it was beautiful and it it tasted like that kind of laxery like coconutty spicy warming 10 out of 10 would make it again and ate it the next day for lunch as well and it was that great thing of it just got better one thing i do like about nigel slater i say that as if i haven't said ten thousand other things that i do like about him is that he does play around with other influences from different countries and different cuisines but he never gets really bogged down in being super technical or trying to do it exactly the same he yeah. kind of admits that it's his play on something and he just has a little go and it usually tastes great it's just always like little nods yeah he's not saying this is the most authentic thing ever does it a few times in this book doesn't he like with miso and this laksa and things like that was there anything else you'd like to have cooked from this or did you struggle (laughs) (laughs) actually there was so much sweet stuff that I wanted to make me too I just didn't get the chance but I love his all of his dessert recipes or cake recipes because they're always just really comforting and homey like something maybe you're like your mum would knock up on at lunchtime or something and just something that you could just sit with a cup of tea and eat it's not super fancy it's not there's no like thermometers or loads of bloody custards or whisking or anything it's all just very there was um an orange and lemon cheesecake which looks amazing really yeah. creamy there was a pistachio cake which looked very good just love everything pistachio and there was a peach and blueberry sour cream cobbler a cobbler <laughs> I've never made a cobbler I want to make a cobbler life's too short make the cobbler make the... that's a new little inspirational quote for this week there was also a Lancashire cheese and courgette crumble which I thought sounded interesting oh not zucchini there interestingly he just plays to his audience here he knows it's Lanc- in Lancashire they call them courgettes he's not fucking around but yeah there was loads there was another macaroni fontina thing so much to cook and I feel like whatever we've discussed here is just a percentage of the book there's so much in here it's going to take me a long time to get through it maybe we should set ourselves the challenge of reading along with it for the rest of the year and posting our thoughts yes (laughs) I like that also the pictures are beautiful just to say he talks about in the intro how he takes the photos himself they're taken at home so the the photos are taken on the day that the food is cooked love him the original blogger (laughs) Instagrammer he is and the cover is just some apples you know, he's a simple man. It's just what what will we put on the cover? <laughs> just some apples. What about you? What did you want to cook? Oh, so much. Again, same as you, like so much sweet stuff, which is, you know, generally not my number one go-to thing, but I think that you're right because it was so simple and nice and it looks easy. So there's a lime tart, the chocolate pudding, there's some brownies, loads of great stuff. There was smoked mackerel on toast, which the picture 
temperature looks incredible. You mash the mackerel with some cream and then there's some nice cheese on top, like perfect. Here's a recipe for taramasalata, which is my number one favorite dip. Is it? Yeah, love it. I'd like to use this opportunity to shout out to co-op who do a smoked taramasalata. Mm. Well, they did do it, but they seem to have discontinued it. And I am furious about it, frankly. Whether it's just it didn't sell very well in my co-op or they've discontinued it everywhere. I don't know. But um, yeah, if you work for co-op, let me know. <laughs> Was there anything else? Um, just every everything. Baked mushrooms and ca- with tarragon mustard butter. Like, come on, that sounds great. There's some spiced roast potatoes in here yes. that sound very similar to what my mother-in-law makes. Mm. It's like a speciality. Yeah, basically everything. Just everything. Love him. Love him. That's it. We do need to rate him. <laughs> we need to rate him. I wonder how this is gonna go. <laughs> Do you want to uh, talk about our rating system? I do want to talk about our rating system. (laughs) As soon as I pull up the relevant document. (laughs) So for each book, we give it our highly sophisticated cookbook circle rating out of five. And we base that on a few elements, the usability of the book, the accessibility, the ingredients used. Are they things that you would find easily or have to hand? The aesthetics. Does it look nice? <laughs> Does it look pretty? And veggie friendliness, which is my token addition that I disprove every episode by talking about fish <laughs> and increasing frequency. <laughs> and for each chef or book, we adapt what we rate out of. So for old Hoppy, it was out of calves' brains because mm. they were just all over that book. And for uh, David Chang, it was piggies because there was a strong pork representation in that book. (laughs) And for Nigel, we're going to rate him out of... Farmer's Markets. Oh, we have to give him a rating out of five Farmer's Markets. That's because he just waxes lyrical about Farmer's Markets all the time. Like he lives in LA and sips on green juice all the time. Anyway, Victoria, out of five Farmer's Markets, how many are you going to give? Kitchen Diaries unsurprisingly it's a high number um and i'm kind of torn actually because i it deserves five Mm -hmm. based on all the things we talked about it definitely deserves five but when you hold it up against our very scientific methodology in rating does it need to have half a point or even a whole point taken off for ingredients and only because obviously i couldn't find some of the ingredients that he asked for but also because because of the seasonality which is great and i I love and I want to cook and eat seasonally but it means that some of the cool things you can't make because you can't get a things <laughs> we love the seasonality but we don't we love the seasonality but yeah I want to eat seasonally but I also want instant gratification when I see something that I want to make or eat but then you know the other half of me says no it doesn't deserve to have that taken off because I'm just being a dick so um I'm gonna give it five farmers wow. markets <laughs> That was the process. (laughs) Just, you know, working through my issues. How about you, Hannah? I also struggled because, again, we know I have problems separating the chef from the book. And if I have a lot of love for a certain chef or cook, then I just want to give their book five. I thought that that would be the case here. But I questioned if I should knock some points off for the veggie friendliness because there is a lot of veggie stuff in here, but also there's a lot of meat as well. Mm. And then I thought, no, that's bullshit 
watched it if you gave Nigella five and <laughs> she has loads of meat in there and you gave Moro five you know that was 50% meat then I can't be knocking off points for Nigel just because I'm embarrassed about my undying love for him. <laughs> So I am going to also give Kitchen Diaries five out of five farmers market. I love this. Two in a row. I know. It's not going to stay this way. It's really not. No. I say that. I've got no idea. So should we quickly mention our next book? We shall. So our next book is by a chef that I think at least I don't have the same undying love for. Mm-hmm. But I am reserving judgment until we get it. So I don't know if you've, you would have heard of him, uh, but that next... <laughs> Our next book's uh, by a, a young man called Jamie Oliver. I was just thinking as you were speaking that whatever, you know, foodies can talk at length about Nigella and Ottolenghi and <laughs> Nigel Slater, every bloody person has heard of Jamie Oliver. So I think he will be our most commercial <laughs> chef to discuss. Yeah. But of course, we will be speaking yeah. about the book, not the chef. Yes, the book, not the chef. Um, and that's going to be hard because we've never done it yet. So, <laughs> so we'll try for Jamie. The book that we'll be discussing is The Naked Chef. Yeah. Which I remember hearing about as a kid and being like, wow, racing. Oh, naked. <laughs> quite excited about it because I've never read The Naked Chef and I think it's his first book I think and so this is pre-commercialized Jamie Oliver yeah I'm interested also it's gonna be quite Italian influenced I would imagine right I think so it will be really interesting have you ever Oliver? seen him in the street I'll, um, I'll tell you about that next time when I follow Jamie Oliver home <laughs> No, I'm looking forward to it. It will be good. It will be interesting to see the contrast between Jamie then and Jamie now. 30-minute meals, 25-minute meals, 20-minute meals, 15-minute meals. Oliver, that we all know. <laughs> Eight ingredients, five ingredients, two ingredients. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine that this will be the last Jamie Oliver book that we cover. We were shocked about Nigel's 18 books. I can't wait to count up Jamie. <laughs> but we're going to come at it with a really unbiased point of view. <laughs> Love you, Jamie. Please come on the show. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our fangirling. Sorry that it's been a fucking bore fest. <laughs> come back next week with Jamie. Let me slag him off nonstop <laughs> for all the same reasons that we've praised Nigel Slayer, probably. <laughs> okay, we're going to put you out of your misery now, dear listener. <laughs> kind to stay this long. Thank Thanks you for listening. listening. Bye! Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Cookbook Circle. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review as it helps others to find us. You can see how the recipes from this episode turned out on our Instagram, at Cookbook Circle. And if you make anything from the books we talk about, please don't forget to tag us. See you next time. Bye! Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. 
Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.